that sense, actually, I've been traveling really a lot recently. I just realized that from last July to this coming July, I change continents at least once a month. And uh, just reflecting on that and noticing the certain cumulative effect of a lot of bouncing around. And just this evening, uh, someone asking me, you know, how is that? And I said, and reflecting on it, there's something about the, what, that sense of the pleasure and privilege of being here. Here. And the kind of the certain, a certain solidity, a certain groundedness in here that's more primary than the this is and that, the here's and there's, the comings and goings, etc. So, it is a pleasure and a privilege to be in New York and to be with all of you. And yet, yeah, just in as, which is what I meant to say, right, in that first line. But I'm just struck as I say that, and as well as being struck by it, just to sort of extend that invitation to all of you in arriving. In the, in just as you sense the weightiness of of body sitting. The miracle of the, the aliveness in which, oh, this body is just doing its alive thing. Just the way the sensory apparatus are on. Seeing, hearing, sensing, feeling. The way experience is just being received by awareness. And to that extent, to the extent that we sense this immediate mysterious aliveness. To that extent, we kind of find a certain rest and contactfulness in the pleasure and privilege of being here. Whether or not what is here right now is agreeable or disagreeable, pleasant or unpleasant, it's so interesting. Of course, we'd prefer that everything was pleasant, right? When I looked a few days ago, three or four days ago, I looked at the weather forecast and the weather in New York, and I was like, ah! I'm on my way to California from here. So I was like, in my mind, I was going to be packing for California weather. And then I looked at, ah. Oh. And then I got here yesterday, and oh, it was like the warmest day. It seemed like, oh, I'm doing, doing well. Right? So it's just this natural sort of measuring Look at the weather forecast, oh, unpleasant. Then get here, oh, sunny, pleasant. So then how easily the mind assumes some kind of permanency, even though it's 25 years of, of uh, practicing, just noticing the, the natural fluidity of experience. Everything's changing, everything's changing. And yet I see the sunshine yesterday in New York, and it's like, oh, it's sunny in New York. <laughs> and then I get up this morning, oh, it's raining. So whether it's just the, the weather, the changeability of the weather, or the changeability of the inner weather, whether what we like is, is agreeable to, whether what's happening is agreeable to us or disagreeable to us. Something about the contactfulness with here, 
the willingness to actually make room for conditions as they are, for life like this, body like this, feelings like this, world like this, that has an extraordinarily sustaining, enlivening quality to it. So, welcome to the pleasure, if you have a sense of that. And at least, even if one doesn't have a sense of the pleasure, welcome to the privilege of being here. The privilege of unasked for and unorganized we find ourselves in the you know sensitive to life. We don't know how long it's going to last. We don't know really how it began. We can't remember consciousness being switched on. We don't know when or if or how it's ever going to get switched off. But here we are. And I think the title. Uh, for today and tomorrow is something like that. I, think, uh, uh, I had a quick look on the website today to check the title. And something like, uh, life like this, or things as they are. Is that things as they are, life as it is. Uncovering the deep truths of experience. So in a way, just an opportunity to explore together this evening and tomorrow, something of what experience reveals? Meditation practice is very often presented as being about being with things as they are. Right? And yet very easily, as we start meditation practice, as we gain some skill in meditation practice, as we uh, deepen our practice, we nevertheless accumulate all kinds of ideas about what could or should happen. So it turns out that the the orientation of actually being with things as they are is an art which we're asked to constantly refine. Mostly by recognizing and dropping recognizing and dropping, recognizing and dropping all the ways in which I'm trying to do something to experience. All the ways in which I'm not actually being with things as they are. So our invitation really is to see what does experience reveal if we get close to it, intimate with it. And specifically, what does experience reveal that has a liberating effect, a relieving effect? What does experience reveal when we get close to it that actually frees up our capacity to be in life, to understand life, and to respond to life? Well, let's see.
I know you often begin sessions uh, at New York Insight with just a little meeting each other and saying hi, and we're going to do that, but I'd like us to sit first, and then we'll uh, do the, do you call it an invitation to connect, or something? and then we'll do that bit afterwards. And I'd like to set up our meditation practice, I'll explain a little bit as we go in, in a kind of quite formless way. It may be that the support of just the very fact, and before we start formal meditation, please just to notice the very fact, simple, so simple that we often miss it, the very fact of being here is actually enough support to focus our practice. And just notice before we start sitting formally, that awareness is already here. If you're not sure about that, then try not to be aware. Try to switch it off now. Don't be aware of anything. No, you're still being aware. Don't be aware of anything. Right? It's kind of strange. We put so much energy into, I've got practicing being aware. As if it's something I need to create or somewhere I need to go in order to get aware. But all the while, awareness is here. The fact that you're hearing my voice, the fact that you can sense the weight of your body on the chair or the cushion. Attention might go in all kinds of directions, Attention might be clear and bright and grounded, or attention might be uh, fascinated by some abstraction, some image, some memory, some reaction, some emotion. But even when attention is fascinated or caught up or telling some story again, awareness is here. You've never had a single experience without awareness being here. If awareness wasn't there, you couldn't say, you couldn't point to the experience. How can you point to an experience? Because you were aware of it. So, awareness is already here. And experience is already happening. Those are all the ingredients of meditation. So let's spend some time sitting together and I'll give a little orientation as we begin sitting. So letting yourself set up your posture. And as you really feel your way into your posture, just to let it be an exp- let that feeling your way in be an expression of acknowledging awareness is already here. Awareness, connecting with the sense of sitting.
the density of sensation and of the contact of legs, feet with floor or cushion, chair. Letting yourself really feel that density, that weightiness, in such a way that contributes to awareness being grounded. Grounded in these bodily sensations, in the immediacy of your experience. Feeling the uprightness of your body. The sense of uplift, some space between your vertebrae. As you sense into that quality of sitting, letting that contribute to Awareness being bright, alert, upright. Also helpful just to let your posture be open. Sometimes just rolling your shoulders back a little, feeling some space in your chest. In the way that element of posture actually invites your awareness to be receptive. And also letting your posture be at ease. Relaxed. Letting your jaw Drop a little, letting the muscles around your eyes soften. (coughs) Letting your belly be round, relaxed. Letting this aspect of posture contribute to awareness that is gentle. And just really acknowledging as you sense into and set up these different aspects of posture. Really Letting yourself acknowledge the natural hereness of things. These sensations of sitting are right here. 
this awareness of experience is right here. And whatever happens, whatever sensations arise, whatever sounds or thoughts or images pass by, See if, seeing if you can just let them do their thing. Within the here-ness of experience. Just leaving them alone so that thoughts just happen. Sounds just happen. So that there's a certain naturalness to your practice. Natural movement of experience. The natural presence of awareness. The gentle training of being here. And it may be for some of you that that, this immediate sense of here-ness is enough of a support. That your meditation can be sustained just by the Hearness of experience happening. The hearness of, of awareness receiving experience. And the freedom of letting experience unfold without getting embroiled reactive and yet if that feels too vague if it's not enough of a support and it may not be then helpful to just take one aspect of experience as a focus and that one aspect may be the sensations of breathing. Or it may be very directly just the, the sensations of the body sitting. And see if you can let all this presence, all this capacity we have naturally to be aware of what's happening, and just to let it all land in this one simple element of experience.
sensing the breath inside the sensations of breathing. Or feeling the body sitting from the inside. Awareness, intimate with experience. In a constantly changing tapestry of experience into which the siren sounds come. and then fade, into which ideas and images arise and then pass. (coughs) And if you find your attention gets fascinated by something, Seduced by some idea or image or reaction. Just rather simply. In the moment you recognize that. Unhooking from it. And letting your awareness just come back to rest in the simple immediacy of things or in the direct contact with the sensation of sitting or of breath breathing. And like this then, we sit here together. Wherever your attention may go, whatever stories or images it may conjure of this and that, just in noticing, feel for the here-ness of things. Surrender your attention back into the immediacy of experience, body sitting, breath breathing, thoughts and sounds passing. Awareness, receiving it all. It's all right here. Pain is met and understood right here.
love as expressed right here. Freedom is known right here in the intimacy between awareness and experience. This is the invitation of our practice. Surrendering our abstractions. The tendency to replay and replay the past. To neurotically anticipate the future to endlessly describe the present. To surrender it all again and again to this immediacy, this hereness, this intimacy, where awareness abides, bright, receptive, wide open, and where experience unfolds, just like this. This is where we cultivate the mind of non-clinging. The heart that's willing to receive what's here. This is it. There's no other moment. There's no other place. We don't have much control over experience. When sounds happen, they're heard. When many images arise, they're seen. Experience unfolds largely independent of my wishes or control. But we have the opportunity to know it. Allow it, receive it, recognize its nature. And have the opportunity to know the fluid nature of experience, the naturally unfolding nature of experience, 
the immediate, edgeless, happening by itself nature of experience. And we have the opportunity to rest in awareness, to abide as awareness. be intimate with this life right here. In these last remaining minutes of the sitting, you're seeing if whatever arises, if you can just be surrendered into the awareness that knows it. Not needing to judge experience as right or wrong. Not needing to pursue or reject what happens. Just let it be the free-flowing, the freely unfolding content with which awareness is intimate. Just like this. The formality of meditation ends with the bell. But fundamentally, nothing changes, right? Awareness is here. Experience is here. And the opportunity to inhabit the hereness in which that stands out is here. So... Here's the opportunity, here's the invitation to connect. And just the encouragement. So what that means, those of you who are maybe not familiar with it, just the chance to turn to somebody nearby to say hi. You might say your name, you might say something briefly about uh, your connection with New York Insight, etc. But mostly what I'd like you to do in the few minutes we have is to see if one can stay really in contact with the immediacy of things. We tend sometimes when we speak to another to lose ourselves in one of two ways. And one way is we get so interested in the other, we sort of lose ourselves out there. Oh, right. Well, what are you like? What are you? 
And we kind of get fascinated by what the other looks like, what the other's saying, what we think the other might mean, etc., etc. Or we tend to kind of have some anxiety about the contact and we lose ourselves in the other direction. We kind of shrink back. Oh, what do they think of me? Uh, is what I'm saying okay? Did that sound a bit strange? Uh, I'm, you know, blah, 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 something else. So we either <laughs> get lost in the contact or get lost in the contact. If we were to apply a kind of rather gross national characteristic, we'd say, this is the American way, (laughs) and this is the British way. (laughs) (laughs) So just actually, the, the intimacy with the other that we try to get through going out to the other, or from feeling anxious about how it's going or whatever, actually, the intimacy is more available when we stay here. Because where do we actually meet another? Where do we perceive another? Where does a so-called other actually arise? Within awareness. Right here. So firstly, just see if the contact with the other can be a contact that's happening here. Awareness and experience. Playing their extraordinary formless dance together. And beyond just introducing yourself briefly, would you please take the few minutes that we have to say something about either what, what was pertinent for you in the meditation practice we just did? What, what stood out? What did you most notice? Right. Either that, or it may be, what are you most noticing right now in the hereness of meeting and speaking? And so in that, please don't, take, uh, don't use the time to respond to telling the other what you think about what their experience, right? Just to keep it to the exploring, stating something that uh, seemed pertinent. Right? What, does, what does your experience reveal about itself? Either in the meditation or in the speaking right now. So please, friends, take a few moments to turn to somebody nearby and uh, greet them and to explore a little. So before we uh, go on, uh, please feel free to share some of that with me, or with us. What, what, what does experience reveal about itself? You sit with this, this uh, uh, sense of what I was kind of calling a formless meditation. Right? I'm not trying to focus on anything in particular other than just where experience is and where awareness is and where life is right here well, what, what stands out what, does it, what did your experience uh, reveal about itself 
anybody. Yeah, please, Ellie. I experienced a lot of um, just restlessness mm -hmm. in the body. Mm. Um, I I don't know if like irritability and discontentment is is a label or if it's in the body, but mm. just not pain, but just like frustration. Yeah, mm. and I I kept having this image of like, Argh. yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So sometimes not it's very like, pleasant. Not very pleasant, right? No. Sometimes it's like that: <laughs> scratchy, irritable, agitated. Yeah. And despite the wish to do this nice, sort of meditative, peaceful thing, just energetically, or you know, maybe just the the kind of momentum of the day. Sometimes we might be being over caffeinated, right? Or for whatever reason, just this certain. So you say, oh. So, how did that meet with the instruction? Right? There's me the encouragement, just to awareness and the movement of experience. So, how did that instruction meet with the agitation? Well, I attempted to um, just say this: this will not last forever, though. Right. Right. It, it feels like it will, mm. you know, it's impermanent. Um, but I would even notice myself like being annoyed by the instruction itself, right. with all due respect. <laughs> <laughs> and then I would notice that, oh my God, I'm even annoyed at the teacher. <laughs> so it's like, I'm annoyed today. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's hard to um, accept the annoyance for me. Right. Because it right. feels not justified, you know? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, you look like you're cheerful right now with it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's, that's uh, the interesting thing. Because oh, agitation, you know, like any other experience, totally fits into that, right? Awareness is here and experience is here. It's just that the experience is agitated. Right? And the tendency of an agitated experience is to keep pulling the attention towards some kind of abstraction. Right? Oh, if 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 I could get up and move around, if I wasn't here, if there was something more interesting, if that guy out the front would shut up with those stupid instructions and, <laughs> or whatever it was that you were filling in those gaps with. Right? And. The tendency, and I think this is where sometimes the instructions around meditation that suggest some kind of poise, some kind of peace, some kind of... Then we easily get into trying to calm the agitation down, which is sort of ironic because the attempt to calm agitation down is more agitation. I've got to stop this, I've got to, you know, I've got to, is just more ifs. And so... The opportunity to really, really let be as agitated as you like, right? not to believe in it necessarily, right? right? But that art, what we were calling the art of letting awareness and experience kind of meet and play, might be not quite the right word, but sometimes 
but letting them meet, letting just the fact, the fact of being here, which is always true, meet with whatever it is that, that's here. So that agitation actually doesn't need to be the enemy, the thing that has to be calmed down, but actually is, is what is revealing its nature. Because agitation has the same nature as everything else. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Anybody else? What, uh, what stood out? What, does, what did your experience reveal, please? I, um, I enjoyed the instruction and I've been, I've been working for a long time with um, a practice, a meditation practice that focuses primarily on sensation, body mm. sensation. Mm. But um, recently I've been really in depth working with a breath meditation. So it's kind of been like an either or for me. And mm. so this this um, practice was interesting because it kind of pulled me out of that duality of, you know, of like I'm working with respiration or working with sensation. So mm. it's trying to open up to both of them mm. and also to sound and also to, you know. Um, and so it was, um, it was nice to know that they can exist simultaneously and, um, and then there was like naturally there are moments because you didn't give a, I didn't know how long it was going to go on for. Mm. And so that like my mind, like I'm fine sitting for a long time as long as I know no. I have 60 <laughs> minutes, you know, and I can like prepare and like anchor down. So there was that hesitation. And so my body would kind of seize up and um, I was just trying to, I would just try to relax into that experience mm. and um and then could it open up back into a, an open awareness, open presence again? Um, so mm. it was a it was a nice exercise. Mm. Okay. So I'm curious when you say either respiration or sensation. Yeah. I'm 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 not sure. I mean, I do know, I know what you mean. Yeah. But actually, if I just if you feel inside that, I don't. Where is the difference between respiration and sensation? Because I don't know what respiration is other than sensation. Yes. And I don't know what sensation is other than something that when we pay attention to it is informed part at least in part by the the you know the whole body is affected by every in breath and every out breath right the, all of sensation is somehow shot through with the the expansiveness of the in breath the and the sort of collapse or the relaxation of the out breath so yes. what is it that makes that makes those seem like two different objects well the practice I was uh, I was doing a vipassana practice it was very systematically kind of oh, the working through sensation scanning thing mm -hmm. yeah and then um, and then I've been doing zazen um, practice so and, and and it's true with the working with breath it is mm. it is sensation um, but primarily it feels contained it doesn't really um, except in like you know if I'm in a deep um, state of awareness well it kind of that awareness of respiration or sensation go out to mm. my... So it feels kind of um, more in the core of the body. So, you know, this was like kind of kind of pulled it out so I can... Um, that I can look at more. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you might, as a way mm. of just resolving those t two that seems to make them two different ways of practice, mm -hmm. you might look for the edgelessness 
of the experience of breath, mm. right? Because even though, you know, we have an idea, and of course, biologically, physically, <laughs> breath is happening in the lungs, right? Mm -hmm. Or some, something like that, right? But energetically, and breath is just as much a kind of energetic rhythm as it, as it is a physical process. Energetically, breath doesn't, isn't only experienced in the lungs, Mm -hmm. right? In fact, we don't know what lungs are. Are there even nerves in the lungs? I don't even know. I have no idea, but I doubt it. What we feel isn't really our lungs doing anything. Mm -hmm. We feel is oh, the expansiveness. There's a sort of expansive quality, an enlivening quality. Our, you know, the cells are being oxygenated. Right? Mm -hmm. And then kind of the way in which the, relax the relaxation is fundamental to the out-breath as well. And just to see if you can, as you pay attention to that, just to see if you can allow the experience to be edgeless, mm. because it is edgeless, mm. rather than sometimes we subtly reinforce, you know, the kind of, even if you didn't really study biology, like I obviously didn't, by the fact that I barely know where, where the lungs are, right? <laughs> but we're somehow subtly informed by a kind of anatomical sense. When we say body, we sort of think of, body mm -hmm. as a thing and our practice this fluid edgeless hereness of things invites us to actually rediscover body not as a thing but body as this aliveness body as the fluidity of sensation yeah thank you yeah it's it's, it's uh, so interesting that meditation practice is very often in the, in the kind of vipassana insight meditation or zazen or world, there's often an emphasis of awareness of something. So awareness of body, awareness of breath. And because we're so, our, our minds are so object focused, right? So here we tend to look, you look around the room, what do you notice? We tend to notice the objects in the room. That means you lot, right? And me. All oh, right. What's here? You and you, this and that. Oh, windows and plants. We focus on objects. Actually, there's a lot, what's here is bigger than all the objects. There's a lot of space here. Actually, all the objects co-appear together. Actually, all the, the what we isolate as objects are just as much defined by the space around and the space between and the whole context. But because we're so object-focused, when we hear meditation described as awareness of breath or awareness of body, we tend to obsess around the object part of that, right? As if meditation is all about breath. Awareness of breath. Breath, breath. As if what the Buddha discovered sitting under the tree was how to pay attention to his breathing. Right? The usefulness of the object is just a support, right? Awareness, awareness of breath, awareness of body. We get it the other way around. We should write the awareness part in capitals and then the other bit in small. But we hear it the other way around, awareness of breath, awareness of body. So actually... You might just consider that in terms of your the way you inhabit your practice as it being a practice of awareness. 
And because awareness is, is often getting seduced into being object-focused, right? seduced in being obsessed by, caught up in, lost in the thing that I'm seeing or thinking of or wanting or reacting to. And because of that, we, we, you, we take a support, we take an object, say breath or bodily sensation, that's basically the simplest object we can find. It's hard to find a simpler object than the breath. You don't need to create it. You don't need to visualize it. You don't need to do it. Even though you sometimes get into you know, breath as you like, start sucking and blowing. right? Because we're so busy trying to do our life. That even breath, we start trying to do it. But actually, we've got this incredibly simple, simple thing. It's already happening by itself. And the object, breath, bodily sensation, is just a support for establishing awareness. Recognizing awareness. Inhabiting awareness. Waking up to the mysterious nature of awareness. The open nature of awareness. The immediate nature of awareness. The edgeless nature of awareness. The luminous knowing nature of awareness, the loving nature of awareness. So that kind of leads me a little bit into what, I, what I'd like to focus on today and tomorrow, which are this, the, the natures of awareness and the natures of experience. There's a way... Uh, and the Buddha speaks about, I, I think of them as the Tars in Pali, in the language that the Buddha spoke. He speaks about these various Tars, Sunyata, Dhammata, Anatta, Yanabhutata, Tatata. Does any of those words familiar to some of you? Yeah. So basically, Ta is the equivalent of Ness in English. Okay? So, Dhammata means the dharma-ness, or in other words, the naturalness of experience. Sunyata means the, the insubstantialness of experience. Yanabhutata means the here and now-ness, or the immediacy of experience. Tatata, lovely word, what a lovely word, tatata. And it's even quite onomatopoeic. Tata means, it's often translated as suchness, right? If you're familiar with Buddhism, that's probably the word, you know. Or just like thisness is the way I like to think of it. The just like thisness of experience. In other words, because of its fluidity, because of its immediacy, because of the way experience is ungraspable, insubstantial, the way we can, there's not much we can say about experience. When we're object-focused, when we're object-obsessed, then we can say a lot about it, right? He's like this, he looks like this, he behaves like that, etc. She's like this, she said that. But when we actually kind of soften around the object and feel into the nature of the object, the nature of experience then what we can say about things changes. 
and we start to notice, oh, what I can say about experience is I can notice it's changing quality, it's fluidity. The way it's like this, it appears immediately. The way there's an intimacy between awareness and experience. And whereas I might have, you know, these ideas we have about objects, people in this case, she's like this, he's like that. No, actually what starts to stand out is that person's just like thisness. In other words, the capacity to meet you, whoever the you is, in a way that's rather fresh, in a way that's unencumbered by my assumptions about you, what I've previously known of you, or that time you said something I thought was a bit weird, and so I meet you like this. A, a, a kind of freshness to experience. So I thought to explore some of these tars, partly because they're, they're, they're not spoken about so much, and or because when they're spoken about, they seem to be spoken about in a rather obfuscating way, in a rather cryptic way, or in a way that suggests that there's something um, uh, sort of esoteric or advanced or, uh, or, or deep. So sunyata, for example, sunyata is normally translated as emptiness. And emptiness uh, seems to pose a lot of problems for people. I think it's actually a not very good translation generally. So a few other translations for sunyata might be insubstantialness. Experience is insubstantial. Right? You can't get hold of experience. Transparent, I think, is a good translation often for sunyata. Spacious. Right? Experience, when we object focus, seems rather solid. Seems like experience is made up of this is and that. He's and she's and it's and those and, the, and here and there and before and after. I was here, I went there, I saw this, I did that. And yet when we soften our, our preoccupation with objects, then we, oh, like the sound. How easily we go, oh, it's a siren, it's a police car. Well, that's true, right? And yet, can you hear the spaciousness in, of the way it appears? The spaciousness around the sound? So, not only does reflecting on these tars reveal something about the nature of experience, and not only does it soften our tendency to get fixated on objects. But it allows those qualities, it allows the insubstantiality of experience, it allows the spaciousness around experience, it allows the fluidity of experience, it allows the just-like-thisness of experience to work on us. It works on us so that we find ourselves responding Spaciously, fluidly, just like this, Lee. 
We find our, our sense of meeting life and responding to life actually um, expressing those qualities. And that's what our practice is pointing to, right? invoking the possibility of a fluid response to life, a spacious response to life. A, a way of meeting this, a way of being in the here-ness of things that's not fixated on this and that, that's not blinded by what I think I already know about experience. So in the meditation just now, we were emphasizing the, the quality of immediacy. Here, the here-ness. Yana Bhutata in the Pali. In the, in the Indian tradition, there's a, there's a lot of emphasis on darshan. I don't know if some of you are familiar with that word, darshan. So to, um, to go to a temple, one gets darshan of the god or the statue represented. To go and see one's guru is to get darshan of the guru. It means um, to, to kind of to be, to meet in the gaze of the guru or of the deity or of the, what, the, what represents the deity, the statue, in such a way that enlivens, awakens, transforms. So I don't know how to really translate that in one, one neat word, but it basically means, ah, the liberating vision, right? A liberating vision of seeing the guru, the liberating vision of seeing God, the liberating vision of uh, seeing the temple statue that evokes certain qualities, etc. So, the Buddha, say, the Buddha has this lovely line where if he, he said, what is the best darshan? Yana Buddha darsana. The darshan of the here and now. Right? A liberating vision born of seeing the immediacy of experience. Which, if we apply a rather free translation to that, we might call the pleasure and privilege of being here. Yana Bhuta Dasana. The pleasure and privilege of being here. I'm rather pleased with that, that kind of full circle that occurs from my opening line. So... During the day to, uh, tomorrow, those of you who are here, have a day of practice together and uh, exploration together and of evoking and exploring some of these qualities, both in how they show up anyway in our experience and in terms of how to actually cultivate and reflect on and, and bring alive these qualities that are the fundamental qualities of, of experience in a very everyday way. Now, how to contemplate shunyata, right? the space around experience, walking in Manhattan, rather than having some idea that emptiness is something that I need to attain some deep state in meditation and then I'm going to see the emptiness of phenomena. Right? We don't need to go somewhere to contemplate these, quali these liberating qualities. We pay attention to the interaction between awareness 
It's receiving and knowing and allowing and making room for. And experience, which is always showing up in such a way as to reveal its nature. So, this is some way, these reflections are kind of some way into this material. I'd like to just make some space for whatever questions or comments might arise out of your uh, practice, out of hearing these reflections. So, please. Ah, yes, John. what I was going to ask you now. Um, it's okay. A little closer maybe with the mic. Yeah. Um, in um, I kind of just feel that I understand um, everything you're saying at the moment. Mm. Um, found it quite easy just to as soon as I sit in that position. Mm. But just the, the, my um, um, I was a bit uncomfortable. My, my jeans are a bit tight for the full lotus, right? But I don't necessarily associate meditation with sitting mm. here in a meditation hall with other people and a teacher mm. and, or on a cushion. You know, I just do it where, you know, wherever I am. Sometimes without even trying to recently. I just realize that I am in that kind of state of awareness mm. you know? and sometimes I just stop what I'm doing and stay you know so the idea of being here I kind of realize quite often that I'm I'm here mm. and then I try and take that place with me and it's kind of I was thinking it's like you're moving through a city or moving through the world but there's this kind of stage that you're on that you just go along with so you're not actually going anywhere you're staying mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then that whole world is actually on that stage with you, but it's just going with you, with me, us, whatever. Mm. Um, the questions come to mind that um, I wanted to ask, and uh, I spent some time with you today, and I told you that my mother had died recently, and, mm. you know, so I'm dealing with that. And um, when I go into, I was in quite a blissful state of just nothing going on. Your voice was there. I didn't necessarily associate that voice with you, mm. but it was the only voice that was there. But I didn't associate it with me either. It was just a voice and I understood it. Mm -hmm. um, and then even though that was there, I wasn't really focusing on that either. There was this you know, awareness mm. that's infinite and I was kind of floating around in that. But within that, when you were talking about the loving awareness, mm. I'm kind of sensing my mother's presence in that awareness and I want to go into it. Mm. So there was some tears there, you know, and, mm. and it's like, you talk about sometimes that deathless state, you know, that, that awareness is deathless, mm -hmm. is it not? It doesn't begin, it doesn't end, you know, supposedly. It seems that way, to be aware of that. Yeah. So... Anything that with it with that's within that awareness cannot die. So then I start to conceptualize. Oh, 
of others alive within that and I can be you know so that was the question you know yeah um, I, don't know, well, I don't know if it's really a question but, okay so it sounds like what's significant in there is there you are abiding in awareness right a sense of being contactful present hearing my voice but not fixating on it not making an ob- much of an object out of it sense of a certain spaciousness of awareness and into that spaciousness in in the immediacy of things the thought or memory of mother and with the thought of memory feeling the presence right mother is alive in the present even though we we say oh mother's died a few weeks ago in the memory of and in the feelings that arise in contact with well mother is here I would say that's the important thing. That mother, your mother, arises in awareness. The feelings, whatever, feelings of love, or feelings of loss, or feelings of grief, whatever, arise. So in the immediacy, mother is known and felt. The emotional response, love, loss, grief, care, memories, whatever, arises and is known. I would say that's the important part. The allowing that, the, the re- letting yourself feel that, the processing of that, so that the you know the process of grief around losing a loved one can happen. The other part, the speculative part, I would say isn't so important and tends to get us into caught in some complexity. What does that mean about mother? The fact that she's seen or known or felt and responded to here trying to make a kind of come to a philosophical position about what that means about whether mother endures in time or what that means about mother beyond her death etc etc it, you know it becomes speculative and actually then you're back in the object making thing of mother as object right whereas more primary than that more personal than that more important than that more direct than that is oh mother here present with whatever feeling response comes forward. And the honouring that and the allowing of that, I would say, will, will, is, is, is more, uh, it's just more conducive to your own contactfulness and intimacy with and love for and uh, sense of mother than trying to make sense in a more philosophical way. Yeah. I agree yeah. completely. Thank you. Thank you, Martin. You're welcome. Over here. Hi. Hi. Um, I'm curious about translating this into walking meditation. Mm. and I kind of wonder if I sometimes do that and then think, oh, I forgot about my object. But really, I didn't forget that I'm walking and noticing mm. the city and the streets or mm. the park and the trees. Mm. I just forgot about my feet. <laughs> like I was already there and right. I came back. That's the object fixation, right? As yeah. if mindfulness of walking is all about feet. I mean, it's as much, I mean, it 
doesn't have to be about anything except knowing that I'm walking and knowing when I'm thinking. Yeah, I mean, thinking is just, just one of the objects that's appearing. Park, right? Sights, sensations, sounds, mm-hmm. thoughts. Letting content do its thing. Content. Like even the stories, like that's part of it too. Yeah. Yeah. None of the, the content isn't a problem, right? If it's if that's what it is, if it's mm-hmm. just thoughts, park, sound, sight, sounds. But if you find that you get so fixated on one of those things that mm. you lose contact with the immediacy, then in the noticing of that, then the uh, the opportunity to deobjectify, to unhook. Mm-hmm. Right? But otherwise, walking meditation doesn't need to be about your feet, <laughs> especially in Manhattan. You make it sound so silly. Right. Well. In Manhattan, it would be pretty silly to walk around just trying to feel your feet. I mean, you know, there's a lot of traffic out there you've got to pay attention to, right? Mindfulness of walking in Manhattan has to be an expansive practice, right? Or you're just going to get run over. Yeah. So not to, not to you know, that's in a way that, that sense of, you know, we get object-obsessed in our meditation. And the problem is then we start to make a problem out of everything that isn't that object. The same as sitting. I get, if I get obsessed about mindfulness of breathing, then I, then I end up making it like being in resistance to everything else that's happening. As if thoughts and sounds or sensations or, or whatever are a problem. But actually, everything that's arising is expressing its nature. Everything that's arising is expressing the tatata and sunyata and dhammata and yanabutata and anatta, right? In other, is expressing its substantiality, its freeness of unfolding. Everything that's arising is the way we awaken. So, if I've got a, if if it can only be through my feet that I can awaken then I've kind of rejected every single other thing in the universe. <laughs> right? So there's something about the fact that having a simple uh, experience, breath, feet walking, etc., can be a useful support for grounding our attention. But the, the fine line is to be able to use a support that's grounding without getting object-obsessed. And in, if the environment is very, very simple and spacious and quiet, then you can really uh, let all your attention be absorbed into that one object. Mm-hmm. The feet and walking, breath and sitting. But if the situation is complex and there's a lot of sensory appearances happening, then the field of awareness has to be wider to include all of that. Right? Mm-hmm. So if you so don't, in other words, while walking around Manhattan, try to just ex- exclusively absorb all your attention into your breath or into your feet, because it's just not attuned to the situation. Then when we're here, oh, it's quiet. There's a, you know, there's a, as much as possible. There's a kind of protected and conducive and quiet and supportive atmosphere. There's nothing you need to take care of. So if you want to use that as an opportunity to kind of train the capacity of attention to really settle and breath and walking. Okay. 
a more complex situation, more, more inclusive awareness. So the lens of our, of our practice can be rather narrow and precise or can be rather wide and inclusive and needs to be, to be able to do that depending on the situation. But still the orientation is exactly the same. Awareness is here receiving what's happening. If it's a complex situation, let the lens of that be awareness be really wide. And the, the contemplation of what is the contact between awareness and experience revealing. And then we find, oh, what it's revealing is its fluidity, is its immediacy, etc. And so, regardless of how complex the situation is, regardless of whether we're sitting like this or walking or running around Manhattan, there's the same opportunities there. It's like a way to make practice really uh, be constantly informing us. There's no moment that we can't learn about the fluidity of life or the immediacy of life or the ungraspableness of awareness or the nature of object. Thank you. So in other words, rather full permission <laughs> to take in park, cars, <laughs> Sounds, sights, pleasant ones, unpleasant ones. Right? Rather full permission to let all of that really inform your practice. Thank you. Yeah, welcome. <laughs> Looking forward to tomorrow's yeah. walk. Yeah. <laughs> um, thank you so much for, for this instruction because it's so timely. I found myself um, in the sit and I reflecting on it probably the whole week. I just came back from Baja retreats and it was deeply transformational. Um, so I found myself, I realized on the sit that I'm really grasping. Like, oh, I, how could I hold on to whatever experience I had, experience that, did I really got it? Um, how do I translate that into New York City? It was not Baja. Um, and but then toward the end of the sit i realized well grasping is just grasping so just gone. and oh, gone. i know <laughs> um, um so i'm um uh the immediacy it was really grounding for me i felt i really needed it um so and then kind of mourning from that kind of nurturing vastness and simple environment and simple life to New York City um, that's, you know, the opposite end of that. And so um, how to kind of maintain that kind of vastness and, and awareness that, you know, so I was struggling a lot with that this week. And so this is really helpful. Thank yeah. you. Good. Because, yeah. you know, Beautiful, being in Baja and you're on retreat with Mark, right? And doing all that nature, awareness, expansiveness, ocean. It's gone. <laughs> and it ain't coming back. Right? Every experience, the most sublime experience you had there, gone. So, and yet, I don't mean to diminish it, because like you say, it, you said it was profoundly transformational. So there's something important about that. But what can you take and what can't you take? We tend to try and take the wrong thing. I want to hold on to the experience. Oh, I felt vast and peaceful. Well, 
Manhattan, no, it's just not as conducive to that, right? To that, it's not as conducive to that quality of experience. But more important, like the question we were asking earlier, what's it, what does experience reveal about its nature? So whatever the access that you may have had in Baha to a certain expansiveness, to whatever it was that felt transformational, don't let that be reduced to the quality of the experience. The quality of the experience is born from the conditions, right? So the, quali- the way or quality of experience, the way you respond, the way heart and mind respond to being on the ocean, to being on retreat, to being at the beach, to being in the sunshine, that's different <laughs> how heart and mind respond to being in the traffic, being in the cold, being on the way to work. Right? Totally different. And yet, whatever it was that felt profoundly... Tra- the profound transformation isn't just the quality of experience, right? Quality of experience is just nice, right? You want nice, just have a piece of cake. It's nice. A lot of ways to get nice. But nice isn't transformational. What's transformational is something in that expanse of experience that gets shown about the way things are. And that is completely translatable to Manhattan, right? So the the, the fruits of whatever you, you saw that seemed important, right? If you... That you can see in Manhattan, because mm-hmm. it's the it's the way experience is. And if you can't see it in Manhattan, then it's the it's the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean you will always see it, but you can you can attune to it, mm-hmm. right? So ah, oh, in that wonderful, peaceful, inspiring moment, what did you what did you see in Baha about the way? experiences or about the way mind is or the way you are what what would be something that you saw there that you're calling that you're saying was so transformational um the vastness of nature um the the joyful vibrant nurturing nature of nature um that's that's that we're all creation of the earth as all beings are and and that that is really that nature is, is life supporting, um, and I, I really got that in the visceral senses, in the sensations. Um, so, so some sense sounds like that just this being here is a little bit clumsy. We might say is a product of nature. That nature, you might have felt it out in the nature, but the nature of things, right? The dhammata. The naturalness of things is such that this being here is an expression of the support of the universe, we might say. Right? Oh, every condition of the universe is supporting us being here. And look, the fact that we're here is the proof of that. Life has switched consciousness on, animated this body. It just does, does all kinds of things with this body, like it grows and grays the hair, and it pushes the nails out, and then keeps the blood going, and we say, oh, I do this, because that's our tendency. We're so self-important, right? My hair's growing. I'm, I'm, you know, as if I'm living my life. But actually, it sounds like you saw something in the vastness about the way in which, oh, this which I call my life is actually a way that life is just being supported in this form. 
like all of life is. And I don't know how long it's going to last, but when I actually attune to the fact that what this is, I call it my body, my mind, my ideas, my history, my wishes, but what it actually is, is life supporting expression right here. Oh. And just, and right now the dressing of right here is Manhattan. In other moments, the dressing of right here is somewhere else or something else. But this contact of awareness and experience, this grounding in immediacy, is a way to experience the, f- the fruits of that insight. To know life is expressing itself right here. And the fruits of that insight being that when I realize that's what's happening, I can let myself off trying to be so responsible for it all. Oh, I don't have to live my life. That's a hell of a drag, trying to live my life. But life's living itself right here. And the more I sense that, the more capacity there seems to be to feel that and know some truth about that and respond to it. Respond in a way that actually expresses the fluidity. And the freedom of the freeness of unfolding. So that's where Baha and Manhattan lose their difference. Yeah, focus on the object, obsess about the object, and all you get is difference. And then it seems like oh, the, the good stuff is in Baha. But focus on the 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 the, the what experience is revealing. And here is good enough. Quite like to get a Baha sometimes, but here is good enough. Where, whatever the here is, wherever the here is, and however the here is. The, the liberating truth of our practice is that here is good enough. And Thank there may you. be all kinds of things I feel actually, there's this lovely line of Suzuki Roshi, right? He says, everything's perfect just as it is. And there's plenty of room for improvement. Right? So here is good enough. Doesn't imply some passive acceptance. No, there's plenty of things that really need some attention. The environment needs a quality of attention that we need waking up. Social justice issues need a quality of attention that needs waking up. But actually our capacity to wake up, our capacity to respond, here is good enough to do that work. Here is good enough to know one's freedom. Here's good enough from which to respond from. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. So probably, yeah, time for one more before we end for the evening. Please. Thank you, Martin. I can walk the 45 minutes and get concentrated. I can sit in Manhattan because I drive a bus to the city and be here mm-hmm. and hear the traffic, mm-hmm. hear this, mm-hmm. and be with it. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, okay, why did I do that and what's next? Why am I doing, <laughs> why am I doing this? Why am I getting here? Mm-hmm. Now my question, my conditioning mm-hmm. is, what's next? That's a great question. Yeah. Got an answer? <laughs> well, the... the, the a finger to point? In the you way? may have spotted now that the... The, 
the technique of the meditation teacher is sometimes to try and avoid answering the question by uh, offering it back to the questioner. So what's your sense? Here I am. I'm, I'm, I've, de- I've been practicing. I've developed some skill in being here. Why? Why are you, why are you doing that? I think I almost didn't ask the question because you almost kind of answered it. Um, but I just wanted to get a couple mm. of chuckles, I guess. Um, I guess awakening, there's, there's a result to be found that I don't know what it's going to be. Um, and I think the fact that I'm conditioned to ask what's next is what I'm trying to get away from. So I guess, overall, as you were answering Lynn, is I'm doing all this to get away from Dukkha. Mm. And I don't understand what Dukkha is, and I don't know what liberation is because I'm conditioned not to know it, but my practice is telling me mm. it's here, and that's what I'm trying to obtain. Without, I'm not trying to grasp it. Mm. Um, I've learned a lot in five years. I really have learned a lot mm. in five years. and um, But still, it's like, okay, this is great. I'm in a great moment. Mm. Why did I just do this? You know, what did I just gain from being here? Yeah. You know, ching, 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 where's the, yeah. the pot so, of gold? You know, the, one of my favorite lines of the Buddhas is this. From complete and unexcelled awakening, I gained absolutely nothing. <laughs> I quit. So I just, I would just, I'd offer you the beauty of that line as a contemplation. From complete and unexcelled. You've seen my apartment. <laughs> nothing, right? From complete and unexcelled awakening, I gained absolutely nothing. What in Zen is sometimes called practicing with no gaining idea. And it doesn't mean you can just put aside your gaining ideas, right? But just, you know, the, 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 the object making tendency that we've been speaking about. That's one of the ways it shows up, right? It conceives of the destination called that dreadful word, enlightenment. Right? Or slightly better, awakening. Awakening slightly better because it's present continuous. Ing, awakening, awakening, awakening. It doesn't suggest a destination in the way that enlightenment does. It's that munt part, right? Enlightenment, as if there's somewhere. So, what... What might be the fruits of this practice if it's not to, if there's nothing to be gained from it? So it's tricky because we somehow intuit that there, there's a way of being freer than this. So that tends to look, because of the object making tendency, it tends to look like a destination, an attainment, somewhere to get to. So partly it's true, right? And we know it. That's why we practice. We know it because I just know. I know because I can intuit it. I know because I feel it. I know because I hear the, the ring of authenticity when I listen to teachings. And I know, we might say, from moments of my own experience, that there's a freer, more fluid, more expansive, more responsive way to inhabit this life. And how do I honor that truth without trying to get anywhere? That's, the, that's the, 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 the rub. That's the dynamic or creative tension of practice. So, when you sit, and when you walk, and when you drive the bus, and when you're engaging with your practice, right, just 
you know, I invite you to feel the, the sincerity of that, the goodness of that, and to notice what does the what's next do to that? What does the making a destination do to that? And you might find that it has a certain kind of corrupting influence because it tends to say, well, this is good, but what would be even better is if it led somewhere. It can't lead anywhere. The only place it can lead us is here. Because that's the only, that's all we got. So the irony is that the destination we're always looking for, a real destination, and as soon as we make a destination, as soon as we make something called enlightenment, as soon as we make something called freedom, it can only be somewhere else. The irony is that the destination we're looking for, longing for, is what? What does this freedom mean? It means, oh, that means the capacity to be here, contentedly, expansively, responsively, alively. Alively? <laughs> so, so just to, 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 yeah, to see what the, to see if you can, uh, Recognize the what next, not actually as a valid or real question, but just as the uh, the, the object-making tendency. Yeah. See if you can surrender that, the move for a destination, to sur- see if you can surrender that back into the awareness of being here. Yeah. Okay. All right, friends. Well... Thank you for coming and hanging out in the pleasure and privilege of being here. I hope to see uh, you tomorrow. And uh, I warmly invite you to uh, support London uh, London Insight, <laughs> wrong continent, New York Insight, generally, in the way that New York Insight supports you. And it's really wonderful that it's here as a resource in the city and offering all this different programming and I know that you know some of you are involved in all kinds of different ways and I'd also really like to warmly invite you to support me so you know I in being here I tried to uh, support you the best I can and in return please feel free to support me the best you can and the dana box that's at the back is the way I get supported to uh, be here and share the practice with you and with others etc So I'm very appreciative of your support. All right, please be well, and I look forward to seeing you tomorrow if you're able to come. Thank you. Oh, just a little bit of propaganda. (laughs) There's a bunch of postcards at the back for Worldwide Insight, which is this online live class with a lot of well-known and wonderful uh, Dharma teachers every Sunday. And uh, there's a, a live guided meditation and teaching and then this very cool platform we've built so that you get this live video Q&A that you can uh, uh, have with the teacher so that happens every Sunday and uh, there's postcards about it and uh, Dalila just mentioned the mindfulness teacher training that I'm running with Mark Coleman and there's a leaflet this one's about the European one that starts this September but we also run one in the US so you can see about that there Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.